0: well it's great to be with you again I was actually here on um, Tuesday we had a funeral here Um, There was one of the ladies at church lost her grandson very tragically Um, and so we had a a funeral here Mary was part of that good friend of Mary's and uh, we talked about he whom the Sun sets free is free indeed and um, the guy young man in particular had uh, given his life to Jesus Um, at one point in his life, and so we were trusting that uh, he would found his way to heaven. The Lord had brought him to heaven to be with him. We were just singing that earlier on, um, as the youth team are doing such a great job of leading us. Way to go. Fabulous. Uh, He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It's wonderful, isn't it? That God releases us into the fullness of what he has for us. We're going to talk about one part of that fullness of life that God has for us this morning. And uh, as we begin a new series uh, that is going to be on the subject of prayer, we have a, for those of you who have not been with us very long, generally in January we have times and seasons of prayer. So this year we're going to have a number of days of prayer and some days of fasting in the middle of that time of prayer. And we're going to be inviting you to be part of that with us. And as part of that, in the weeks leading up to that on either side of Christmas, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. And you're going to get various people coming to speak to you. Um, I'm obviously speaking this morning. Val Micklefield will be coming to share as well. She shared last week at Panet, did a great job. Norm's up at Panet today, uh, sharing with the folks at Panet. He'll be speaking back here, and then Ron and John and Aaron are also speaking. So uh, by the time you finish, you'll have had quite the smorgasbord of different people preaching about prayer. It was about 40 years ago. I can say that now. But I can tell you where I was. Um, I was about 15. Or 16, and I was on a summer camp, a youth camp. Uh, We were in a place called Ellesmere Port near Manchester. I was there with the youth from our church. Many of us went for the fun and the games and the opportunity to spend time with the girls that we liked, which is what you did when you were 14 or 15. Of course, I wasn't doing any of those things. I was there to spend time with the Lord and have a. (laughs) But we were in the middle of one meeting one night. And uh, one afternoon, we were worshiping away, and I can remember really nothing else about what happened on that retreat. Uh, It's all kind of a blur. But halfway through the meeting, we were having one of those moments you just had before at the end of the worship, where it was like we were in the presence of the Lord, everything's kind of quiet, we're just waiting on the Lord, and sometimes people speak out and give words. And uh, a girl who's probably two, three years older than I am, a girl called Audrey, uh, suddenly spoke out a word. And she read out a scripture, and when she read out that scripture, something gripped my heart. 14, 15, 16 years old, wherever I was there, probably 15, something gripped my heart which I've never been able to shake loose. Not that I've tried to shake it loose, but it's gripped me ever since. And she read out this scripture from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, which is the one we're going to be looking at today. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And what gripped me was very simple there's incredible power in this thing of prayer. When we pray, God answers. And so as we come into a new series on prayer, we want to look at these scriptures today and take them apart a little bit and say, Lord, what are you telling us about prayer today? Let me read you the whole context. We're going to be reading out of 2 Chronicles 7, beginning at verse 12. And we're going to read through a little bit of the context just to help you understand what's happened here. The the temple has just been dedicated. Uh, by Solomon. Beautiful temple built. Obviously, it was David's idea initially. God put it on David's heart to do it. Solomon built it, and they've just dedicated it. And before the dedication of the temple, there were these long prayers and worship times as part of the dedication. And Solomon prayed this long prayer. And he prayed, Lord God, If your people who are in this circumstance or that circumstance, maybe war, maybe famine, maybe in different trouble or whatever, if they turn towards this house and if they pray, will you hear them? And he went through a long list of different circumstances that people could pray to God from and asked that God would hear when those prayers were prayed. But God didn't answer Solomon right away with words. He did come down in fire and he filled the temple so he was obviously saying yeah I'm gonna be with you but it was actually later after the temple was done after the palace was done everything else Solomon's lying in bed one night maybe asleep and God visits him in the night and this is what happens let's begin to read at verse 12 the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place, For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Today I want to talk to you about praying powerful prayers. And I want to answer three questions out of the passage that we're looking at today. First of all, who prays powerful prayers? Secondly, what are the four conditions for powerful praying And thirdly what happens when we pray those powerful prayers ten years after Audrey had given a prophetic word and something had gripped my heart I was part of a church plant in England Uh, we were planting in an area near where I was teaching in a school and uh, at one point in that church plant we were doing all sorts of different things to try and reach people it's a bit like the hourglass little bits of sand coming through and not much really happening Um, But at some point during that journey, we read a book by uh, Paul Yonggi Cho called Prayer the Key to Revival. And whatever had been stirred up in my heart before and gripped before just went to a whole other level. And we started to pray. We would get up in the morning, four, five, six, seven days a week. We would go to an old community center, a rundown community center in the docks right down by the riverside. And we would pray, we would gather around a little Calagas stove because we were all so cold and we would pray and try and encourage each other in the Lord. And then we'd read stories about um, brothers and sisters in Siberia who had to go out from their houses early in the morning if they wanted to pray and pray in the woods where it was freezing cold. And that sort of made us feel a little bit better about our Calagas stove and the, the cold community center. And we would pray and ask God that he would move in our town in a new way. And we began to realize somewhere in the middle 80s that we were part of a prayer movement that was happening all over the world. God has been stirring his people to pray. And in 1987, we came into our Christmas season. It was about this time of year in 1987. And in a month, suddenly it was like all the sand fell into the bottom of the hourglass. We were a congregation of about 40 at the time, but we grew. We doubled in size in one month by people getting saved one after another. Uh, a man came in, got saved. He brought his wife, got saved. And then he went and found his brother from a different part of the, uh, the area. He came, got saved. His wife got saved. And then the next door neighbor got saved. The next door neighbor brought their family. They got saved. And then the people across the street brought their family. They got saved. We had a cell group in a new part of the city in one month in an area we were not reaching out to at all. No flyers, No knocking on door, no invitations. It was a totally different part of the city. What was the difference? The difference was prayer. That's what made the difference. Yes, you have to do the stuff. You have to make connections and meet people and whatever. But the prayer was what made the difference. A few years later, they built a brand new community center in the area. And we started meeting in that community center. And had been there for a number of years. I just heard fairly recently in the last few years, the local government ran out of money. They didn't know what to do to run the centers and things that they had. So they gave the keys of the center to the church. They turned the ownership of the center to the church. And they're running the community center now. In fact, they've asked them to take over another one in the neighborhood. We had no idea when we started to pray what God had on his heart. But this thing of prayer is powerful. When we pray, God answers. Amen? So let's look together at how we can pray powerful prayers. Anybody here want to pray a powerful prayer? You want to learn to pray powerful prayers? Okay, you're in the right place this morning. First of all, who prays powerful prayers? Who prays these life and nature changing prayers? Well, as we've discovered, God was responding to a prayer that was made by Solomon. And you'd have thought Solomon would be praying on behalf of the priests and the prophets and the righteous people who came to the temple and would be praying regularly and giving themselves to prayer. And Solomon would be saying, Lord, when those people pray, can you answer from heaven? But Solomon's a wiser man than that, the wisest man who walked the earth other than Jesus. And Solomon knew that God's people were not always going to be like that. In fact, the tendency of all of our hearts is to wander away from God if the Holy Spirit is not at work in us to bring us back to Him. And Solomon knew that, and he knew that the tendency of this people was going to be to walk away from God into backslidden states. And they did, time and time and time again. But every time they backslid, there was a similar pattern to it. They embraced, firstly, a diminished view of God. They started to believe in other gods of wood and stone. They had the God who created heaven and earth and made everything. But they started to give themselves to to images that had been created by man. They embraced a diminished, a smaller view of who God was. Suddenly, he was a God in the midst of a lot of gods. They embraced a diluted version of the scriptures or forgot them altogether, the law. All the things that God had taught them, they started to water them all down. Oh, I guess it doesn't mean that. And as they watered it down, it took them further away from God. And when you embrace a diminished view of God, and when you embrace a diluted view of the Scriptures, you automatically end up embracing a distorted view of yourself. They lost their identity as the people of God, acting like the pagans around them. And finally, as you keep doing that, that's a a slide that's only going to take you in one direction. They started to embrace a destructive way of living, ultimately hurting the most vulnerable, the widows, slaves, orphans, and of course, the children. These people slipped away from God time and time again, and Solomon knew that they were going to do that. And so when Solomon asked God at the dedication of the temple, he didn't ask God about all the priests and the prophets and the godly righteous people. He asked God about the people who were going to backslide away when they turn away from you, when they fall away from you, when you judge them for falling away and they have famine in the land or they have war and different things happening, when they're in a terrible state before you, Solomon prays, Lord, when they turn from that state, from that place, will you hear from heaven and answer their prayer? And God comes to Solomon in the middle of the night, and he says, even when my people have turned away from me, have got themselves into a terrible state, far away from me, if they will humble themselves and pray, and if they will seek my face, And if they will turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Who prays powerful prayers? Backsliders pray powerful prayers. People who are far away from God pray powerful prayers. People who have forgotten how to pray. People who have forgotten how important prayer is. People who might even have a diluted version of the scriptures and a diluted version of of God and of themselves and have fallen into destructive patterns. They can pray powerful prayers because the most powerful prayer anybody can pray is the prayer of a sinner asking Jesus to forgive them. There is no more powerful prayer. So wherever you're at this morning, you can pray powerful prayers. Isn't that amazing? Because that's who God is. Secondly, what are the four conditions for powerful praying? First of all, humility. If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves. The word for humble here means to subdue, to conquer, to bring down. It's the word often used in the Old Testament when it talks about one nation defeating another or subduing another. It means to be brought to the end of your own strength and resources till you have no more capacity to fight on. When these people get so to the end of themselves that they have nowhere else to turn and are ready to stop trying to do it by themselves in their way, in their strength, then powerful prayers can be prayed. Prayer begins where my capacity ends. And that's why the Holy Spirit talks about humility before prayer, because there is no real prayer without true humility. Catherine Marshall an author, prayer warrior, wrote, Admittance to the school of prayer is by an entrance test with only two questions. The first one is, are you in real need? The second is, do you admit that you are helpless to handle that need? Now you've entered the school of prayer. Humility is the starting point of a life of prayer. In my own life, I regard my struggles to pray my resistance to pray as the greatest outward manifestation of pride in my life. Have You ever thought about that? Asking God is saying, I need help. I can't do it myself. I have not the strength. I have not the grace. I have not the experience. I have not the wit to do it. Lord, will you help? That's the beginning of prayer. The first condition for powerful praying is humility Lord this is too big for me have you got something that's too big for you right now something you can't do in your own strength something that's beyond you call on the name of the Lord he hears and answers prayer the second condition for powerful praying is praying there's no powerful prayer if we don't pray If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray but let's be clear here that Solomon God talking to Solomon he's not talking just about my own personal times of prayer he says if my people will humble themselves and pray he's not just talking about personal prayer he's talking about corporate prayer praying together When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he did the same thing. He taught them to pray corporately, together. Lord, teach us how to pray. Okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Deliver us from evil. It's a corporate prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray together. Because he understood that even though personal prayer is very important, corporate prayer is very powerful. I've been having occasional trouble over the years with... um, Every now and again, my heart starts beating double time. Boom, 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 boom. Sort of an arrhythmia thing. A little bit in the family and whatever. So a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning... Uh, I spent my Sunday morning in St. Boniface Hospital where a friend of mine trying to figure out what was going on with his heart that was just going bum 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 boom, wouldn't stop. And over the last year or so, it's got longer and longer. So it's gone up to sometimes it's five hours long. It just pumps away. And so eventually you sort of feel a bit groggy and dizzy and whatever. So that happened a few weeks ago. And then the Sunday morning when I was about to preach this sermon, I'm lying in bed, I've been up in the night trying to figure things out, sort of praying things through, We'd come back to bed, and um, I don't know, it's maybe 6 o'clock in the morning, suddenly I wake up with a jolt, you know, when you, you have these jolts in bed, boom, Everything. So maybe I'm just weird, but anyway, I had this jolt and my heart starts going boom, 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 boom. I'm like, oh no, oh no, I do not want to go to the hospital this morning, I feel God's given me a word. I want to give the word that God's given me so it's pumping away pumping away I think okay I need to get out of bed and pray so I get out of bed and I start praying and I go downstairs and I have something to eat and I try and do some things that maybe will jolt this thing back into into its normal time but nothing was helping so what do you do well I text my friends so I get on to the guys at the Road and see if any of them are up but you know if you're up can you pray for me because my heart's pounding and if it doesn't stop I'm on my way to the hospital so they're praying and praying and praying. Now I'm praying away and I'm walking around the table. A bit more faith because they've got back to me. Yeah, we're standing with you, Pete. We're praying. And so that's great. And, but I was just beginning to feel more and more dizzy. My head's getting light and whatever. So I think, oh, I need to go lie down. So I go and lie down on the couch. And the last text I got from Ron said, um, peace be still, in big bold letters. So I put hand in my heart, peace be still, all in faith because everybody's praying. Nothing happened. Just boom, 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 boom. So I took my glasses off. I lie down on the couch, and literally, I said to the Lord, "Well, Lord, I can't do anything else. I can't pray anymore. I'm 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 probably about to go off to sleep or something. I'm on my way out here to you know. Obviously, it wasn't. It's not serious, by the way. I'm not about to die, so don't don't worry too much about that. But um, it certainly was gonna. It was gonna put me out, and uh, I can't even muster up another prayer. All that's left. I said this to the Lord. All that's left is, is the prayer of my brothers." Instantly, dum, 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 dum. my heart went back to normal, just like that. This thing of prayer is powerful, and we need each other in prayer. Isn't that true? We need to stand with each other. We need to stand alongside each other. We need to be praying with each other. You've got women's prayer on a Tuesday. You have prayer before the services. You have prayer on Saturday night. Prayer summits, in your cell groups, praying together. Encourage you to do that. It's great with the technology we have nowadays. I could just text, you know, some, could you pray for me right now? And they stood with me in prayer. This thing of prayer is powerful. What are the conditions for powerful praying? Humility and praying together, and particularly corporate prayer. The third condition for powerful praying is alignment. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. What does this thing of seeking the face of God mean? Well, we could preach a whole sermon series on what it means. But in its simplest form, it means this. God, I want what you want, not what I want. I'm going to align myself with your will. Again, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I have these ideas of what I want to do with my life and where I want to go and how this is all supposed to be worked out. But if I want to pray powerful prayers, I can pray, Lord, give me what I want. Which you can pray that prayer. And sometimes God gives you things. Jesus says you have not because you didn't ask. Sometimes you don't have. God has something he wants to give you and you never asked for it. So he didn't give it to you. But in this context... God is encouraging Solomon. If these people want to be praying powerful prayers, they need to line up with my will. Seek my face. What puts a smile on the face of God? Not just what puts a smile on the face of me. I want to align myself up with that will. And if I align myself with that will, we're going to be praying powerful prayers. I trust you sort of have some sort of understanding of what's going on at Panette Road right now. But this is what Ron calls the biggest change uh, of life that's ever happened in Gateway, certainly Panett's history. It's been lovely the way the Lord has brought you here, settled you down. You've had wonderful leadership from Aaron and Wilma. It's tremendous for us, Julia, and I was so thrilled when they came and took over. We knew you were in good hands. And now Norm uh, swapping around with Aaron, and you've got, it's, it's wonderful. You've got a place, you're settled. Um, Panet Road is is kind of exactly the opposite right now we're going through every sort of change you can possibly have we're having a change of leadership after 40 years Ron's beginning to to step down from leading at Panet, and uh, and we're moving we've basically uprooted everybody in the entire congregation and said to them you know in two years time you're not gonna if you want to come to church here there's gonna be nobody here this is we're all going somewhere and uh, at the moment, it seems like there's uh, planting at back over the other side of the train tracks, and we're planting in West St. Paul, Gateway North, over the other side of the river. People's lives have suddenly been sort of shaken, and you can feel it. And some folks have drifted away, and yeah, we don't want to be part of this anymore. Other people are coming in, and they're trying to figure out how do I fit into something that's kind of a moving, moving situation here. And we've had to say to them, listen, we we need to be praying and we need to be praying together. But the issue is not what's convenient for me and my family. Do you remember when we moved to the south all those years ago? It was a struggle for people who had teenagers. What do we do? There's no youth. Junior and I tried to run the youth. That only worked so well. We had lots of fun, but but the, you know, there's only a few of us there. What do you do if there's not a children's ministry, if there's not this, if there's not that, or not the other? In our consumerist society, we think, well, if we don't have that, then, then we don't get the full meal deal. And if we don't get the full meal deal, I'm not going to that restaurant. But what does God say? What does God say? What puts a smile on God's face? Because if we will line ourselves up with what's on God's face, sooner or later, the smile will come to our face too. And we might not see it immediately. We might not see the way through immediately. We might not understand why God tells us to go this way when it just looks like a blank canvas or it looks like a a, a black road with no lights and there's lots of stuff in the way and I don't know how to get through. Why ask me to go that way, Lord, when everything looks good this way? But the righteous, the Bible says, walk by faith, which means trusting God when you cannot see. That's what faith is. It's trusting God when you cannot say. And so the issue for all our folks at Panet, and I do hope when you get stirred in your heart, you're praying for us because we need prayer in all sorts of ways. God's been answering prayers wonderfully. A check for $2.9 million arrived in our bank account a week ago. We'll keep that. That, that That was a good thing sold the north seven acres but we need to sell the south seven acres south six acres we need probably we're asking for 6.5 million for the south six acres we have somebody that's interested in that right now we we need to get the full land out in St. paul we've got eight and a half acres and we've got the rest of it under contract but the title hasn't been transferred to us yet it's gone through this long process because it was a field it wasn't even a lot they've had to make it a lot and the title hasn't got to us yet and then we have a faith gap of the finances which is what keeps Kevin awake at night. We need your prayers. We cover your prayers. Pray. This is all our family together, right, in what we're going through. But the issue for our folks is this. Not what looks the most comfortable. Not what looks like it ticks all the boxes of my checklist of everything that needs to be ticked. What does Jesus say? What is the will of God for my life? If I will do what is the will of God, then everything I need for life is going to line up for me. God will give me everything I need to do all that he asks me to do. If I do it his way. You might be facing some big life choices right now. It's a bunch of young people in the room. It's great you're in the room. Can I encourage you? The biggest, possibly the only question that matters is what does God want for me and my life? And if you will do what God says, God will look after you, right? This congregation is a testimony to that. Fourth condition for praying powerful prayers, repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. This doesn't mean saying sorry. This meant stopping doing it. That's what repentance meant to these people. Because they were doing some crazy things. Repenting from it, turning around. It meant for them stopping worshipping these gods of wood and stone and metal. It meant stop doing things in that worship which were horrendous. They got to the point of sacrificing their kids to a heap of metal or wood. Can you you imagine how how far you get away from who you really are and who God really is? That's what can happen to you. That's what can happen to a nation. That's what's happening to our nation. We might not be doing those sorts of things. But what are the things in our lives that are offensive to God that hinder our prayers? Jealousy, gossip, slander, putting other people down, unforgiveness, coveting what other people have. God says to his people, if you want to pray powerful prayers, then stop doing wicked things. Stop thinking wicked thoughts. Change the way that you're going. And it doesn't mean that we need to be sinless and perfect. Do you remember what James says? He tells us that Elijah, who prayed very powerful prayers, was a man just like us. He was probably a bit of a bipolar, they would call it now. Manic depressive when I was growing up, up and down. When he was up, the world was great. God was doing great things. Everything was turning around. And then the next minute, he's oh, it me. I'm the only one left. There's nobody else around. God's forsaken me. I don't have anything to eat or drink or whatever. And he was all miserable. But he was a man just like us. But when he prayed that God would shut up the heavens, that it would not rain, it did not rain for three years. And when he prayed again that it would rain, it rained. He's just like you and me. He's no different. But that's the power of prayers. So, four conditions of powerful praying. Humility, praying specifically corporately, alignment with the will of God, and repentance. What happens as we close up this morning when we pray powerful prayers? Three things. The first result of this sort of prayer is that we get God's attention. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God hears. In fact, it says here that all his senses are quickened and put alert to the prayers coming from his people. He goes on to say his eyes will be towards them. His heart will be there for all time. It's like his whole being has become alert and awakened to the needs of the people that are praying. He might not go down in history as the greatest president of the United States, but he maybe should go down as one of the greatest people that was ever a president of the United States. President Jimmy Carter and his wife Rosalind were in the White House from 1977 to 1981. Shortly before he became president, a group of people began to do something about the 40% of people who were living in poverty near the Carter's home town in Georgia. Somehow, at some point, they got the attention of the president. After they left their White House, President Carter and, and his wife Rosalind actually lost all the money. They had a, a peanut farm that went bankrupt because of what he did in, in the White House and paying attention to other things. He came back to that and he was awakened to the poverty of what was around him. And this particular group that were looking to do something about them, And so they began to support the fledgling organization, which was called Habitat. Once they left the White House, they inspired millions all around the world to work alongside well over 100,000 volunteers in 14 countries to build, renovate, repair over 4,300 homes on top of all their other tireless efforts in fundraising and advocating for the poor. Do you know that one in seven households in Canada... One in seven, including 735,000 children, do not have a safe and decent and affordable place to call home. Is that news to you? Every day, thousands of families are forced to decide between paying rent or putting food on the table. In Canada. Last year, the Carters came to Winnipeg as part of a drive with Habitat for Humanity to build 150 homes across 40 communities in Canada to mark Canada's 150th anniversary. Incidentally, after 72 years of marriage, they still live modestly in the same home they had before he was president. It's valued at 167000 American dollars, which is less than the Secret Service vehicle that's parked outside his door. He recently taught his 800th Sunday school Bible class. He's taught Sunday school Bible every other Sunday since he left office at the same Baptist church, Maranatha Baptist Church in Georgia, and people line up the night before to go and hear him. A presidential couple who never lost the common touch became attentive, sensitized to the needs of the world around them and then accessing and releasing an unprecedented amount of resources into this humble new outreach in Georgia which is now affecting the world as a result. God is like that. God rules the universe. He has all the resources of heaven at his disposal and when we pray, it awakens his senses to our needs. It awakens all that he is towards us, and he answers from heaven. We need $174,000 at Panet in December. You need over $30,000 in December here in the South. We have a faith gap of somewhere between 2 and 3 million, depending on how you do the numbers, and the building that we're doing out in West St. Paul. What can we do about that? It's too big for us. It's beyond us, Right? What do we do? We pray. Because we have a God who, when we pray, he becomes sensitized to our needs and he releases the resources that we need when we pray. We get God's attention. Secondly, we get God's forgiveness. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my faith, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. Now, this is an amazing statement. Because this included parents who have sacrificed their children in the fire to gods of wood and stone that are not gods at all. They've burned up their inheritance, their gifts of God to them. I mean, can you think of a more horrible thing to do? And they suddenly wake up. To the reality, because this is what sin does, right? It crowds around, it covers your mind. You 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 lose touch with reality, you get deceived, and you deceive yourself, and, and then you find yourself doing something that totally shocks you. Have you ever done that? And you traumatize yourself with the depth of your own sinfulness. I've done that a number of times. I still think back of some things, and it makes me shudder literally when I think of it. I think, God, what do you do with that? Surely God won't hear the prayers of such people. We have an amazing God. We have an incredible God. Those are the sorts of prayers God hears. He said, if you will humble yourself and pray and seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive. Do you need some forgiveness today? Do you feel like the sins you've committed either now or in the past are too much for ever God to wash away? if you believe that then you have to believe that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough the blood that he shed wasn't powerful enough for you for your sin all we like sheep have gone astray all of us have turned to our own way but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all if you need forgiveness today turn to the Lord and finally healing not just for us but all we have wounded i will forgive their sins and heal their land the word heal here means to stitch up it means like if you get a you know sword wound or something like that and breaks open your flesh and you you can't put just put it back together again and it's going to heal you you need somebody a master surgeon to have the right equipment and to stitch that thing up back together again and god says if you will Humble yourselves. If you will pray, if you will seek my face, if you will turn from your wicked way, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins. And I will stitch up your land. Is our land wounded? Very deeply. Very deeply. From shore to shore. From coast to coast. Have we got a diluted version of God in our land? Have we diluted the scriptures in our land? Have we forgotten who we are? We're in an identity crisis. People don't know who they are anymore. Right? And are we destructive in what we do? Yeah, we are. The safest place on the, on the earth ought to be the womb of a mother. Is that correct? It is the most dangerous place on earth. 56 million children a year. Are we in a desperate state? We, we can cloak it over and make it look nice. But is Canada going downhill and going downhill fast away from God and who God is and what God has for this nation? Are we going to be honest with ourselves? It is. It's gone down in the 26 years since I came here. Shockingly so. And it's not alone, because it's happening all over the world. Is there no hope for our nation? Are we too small to turn it around? Or is the Bible still true that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land.